Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in 3, 2, 1. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode 90 and is being recorded on February 9th, 2019. Today's topic, Spectral Scan Discovery, Season 2, Episode 4. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This podcast contains spoilers for Discovery Season 2, Episode 4 in Obel for Sharon. I'm Aaron Gallo. I'm Eric Berry. And I'm Eric Dewey. This episode is sponsored by Revenge Lover Designs and Illustration. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off your order. How you guys doing today? I'm I'm geeking out. <laughs> you are? Why yeah, we're going to talk be? about Star Trek. <laughs> oh, is that the only reason? The only reason I want to mention on the podcast right now. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. How I'm about you, Aaron? Well. You're back from your trip, your trek? My trek across the, the continents. Ocean. Oh, yeah, the ocean. <laughs> yeah, I'm back. Saw the northern lights and went inside a glacier. So that was pretty cool. Explore the glaciers while they're still here, people. Yeah. They were literally melting around you, you were saying. <laughs> they were earlier. melting as I <laughs> was like, inside. Literally, you're, you're literally getting drips of glacier on you as you're walking through. That's terrible. Yep, but the tour guide said that we could drink it because it's the purest water that you'll ever Yeah, it's experience. like water from a million years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It probably doesn't taste very good though like it if it's pure water like distilled water have you ever drank distilled water no it has zero flavor it has absolutely no flavor whatsoever it's like just liquid in your mouth and you're like what it it, <laughs> it tastes weird because it has no taste the taste in most water comes from the minerals that are in, in the water as well that's why when you get like bottled water you'll see it's like distilled water with added minerals for taste because they have to put, they distill it, clean it, make sure it's got no nasty stuff in it. But then they add like salt and potassium to mm. give it a little bit of flavor. Because <laughs> otherwise you'd be like, ugh. Distilled I love water. That potassium. Oh, well, it's, it's necessary. It's one of those things that's necessary for life. You, you got to have some potassium in your system, but too much will stop your heart. So, you know, go figure. <laughs> you know what stopped my heart? This episode of Star Trek Discovery. Oh, back on track. I like it. <laughs> Uh, but but we do have some news. So, Aaron, what's what's the first on the docket? So to start here, we have the Picard series is potentially set for three seasons. Okay, we went from hey maybe this is like a ten hour movie to ah, three seasons. <laughs> what? <laughs> we, yeah, we so went I, from ten episodes. That's a ten hour movie. With hopefully we'll get a second season. And now we're like, nah, we got three seasons in us at least. Okay. I'm I'm on board like already like just from what's been said oh. we've we've had no trailers we've had no information about storyline with with very very small exceptions but I'm still I think, pumped cuz I think that makes it more exciting because we don't know what's to come I'm sure there'll be as it gets closer we'll start getting some trailers and we'll probably get some some hints as to the storyline they're going with as of right now all we've really heard is that it's essentially Picard but in a different 
light. Like, we're not seeing Captain Picard. We're going to be seeing Picard, who's gone down a different path after the, the disillusion of the Romulan Empire. So I'm, that alone makes me curious. And the fact that Patrick Stewart is on board, fully on board, like excited on board for the story, makes it that much more intriguing to me. Right. I agree. What else we got in the news? So Alex Kurtzman revealed that the Section 31 series showrunners are already working on the new show, despite the fact that it has not officially been greenlit. So I guess they're really excited to get this going. (laughs) Yeah. And like you guys said last episode, I think the prior episode of Discovery was a backdoor pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It really kind of gave us that insight as to what a Section 31 Giorgio show might be like. And that episode made me more excited than anything else that I had read about that show for it. So, hey, good good job on them for that, because it worked. I'm like, yes, now I was on the fence before. Like, obviously, I'm going to watch it, but I was still in the camp of I'd rather have a different Giorgio show. But now I'm like, you know what? Actually, I'm kind of digging Section 31, Giorgio. So let's see where this goes. Mm -hmm. But it might be a long way off because at that Television Critics Association event uh, that we talked about last week, Kurtzman didn't give a date, but he said as soon as Discovery Season 3 is over, we're rolling right into that show. That's my hope. So we might be like a whole nother year off from seeing Section 31. And that's probably a good thing because you don't want to rush it. Right. Maybe right. maybe more than a year even, depending on how long we have between seasons two and three of Discovery. We had mm-hmm. almost a full year just between the end of season one and the beginning of season two. So hopefully, I'm judging this just based on the fact that they told us we're only getting two short treks between seasons two and three. So I'm judging yeah. it. I'm hoping that half the short treks means half the time between seasons. <laughs> we, we can hope. He says hopefully. Right. <laughs> but I'm also excited that it looks like Tyler is going to be in the series. Yeah. And, and again, last week's episode really set kind of set up the stage for that, too. We know we'll see him again at some point during Discovery because I guess from the trailer, Michael and him are kissing again. Ooh la la. Michael deserves some love, so I'm on board with that. Hopefully uh, things work out for them. Hopefully it's not just something he's doing to get in to Discovery. And Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that too, but... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that that's that's real, that there's something real between them, because I think there is something real between them and the, their chemistry on screen is fantastic. So I would be right. I would be on board with with them getting back together in some shape or form. Yeah. So why don't we jump into my favorite segment? Would you buy it? Uh, no, no. Uh, yeah, I have to agree. Definitely no really? on. Now, here's the thing. It is beautiful. It is awesome looking, but the quality of material versus the price does mm-hmm. not add up for me to something I would buy. Okay. Were it cheaper in the current format or were it a different format altogether, then I might be much more interested. You know, I can tell uh, you more about that when you explain yeah. what we're talking about. Right. And I guess I agree with you guys. It's funny. I specifically picked this because I thought Eric Dewey would say yes. I was actually going to put this on last week's Would You Buy It? Until Eric put up what we talked about last week. So we're talking about the Star Trek Discovery stained glass. Geely print? High quality like okay. lithograph. 
This is available from StarTrek.com and is selling for $26.99. That's where they lost me. <laughs> <laughs> it's photo matte paper. So it's not even glossy to give you that like stained glass effect. Good job, guys. Yeah. <laughs> That that's uh, where they lost me again. Like basically, this is you know it's eighteen by twenty four, which is it's a pretty a fucking good print yeah. of one stained glass that shows the red angel. And there was much better stained glass in that episode, like the one with yeah. all of the religious symbols, which I thought when before I saw the picture, I thought that was gonna be. But it's just like you know some people bowing down to the big image of the red angel. Who the hell is this for? <laughs> <laughs> like, I love the design. I love the artwork of it. I don't mind the choice of what piece of stained glass. But yeah, matte paper and only 18 by 24 for $27. I mean, con prices for prints are less than this. Right. You know, and, and when you buy a print at a con, you're paying more for it because you're paying for the, the people to lease the space at the at the convention. And now and, if and they were to put out something like this on like Mylar that you could put on a window or if they were to actually make this in glass or even a translucent, like a prop piece. Yeah, exactly. Like something that could, that actually looked like stained glass and could shine light through. Then I would definitely be on board, but just a matte print of a picture of stained glass. No, no, I ain't about that life. And the thing is like, if you look at the picture on the site, you know, they say it's an 18 by 24 print, but that's not the ratio of the stained glass. You're getting a third of it with this black border. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it's, it's like it's like letterbox uh, opposite. It's like opposite letterbox format on old TVs. Yeah, this is terrible. And I mentioned it last week on the show that the Star Trek shop, I mean, they had Tilly's junior high that she went to <laughs> for like six months a sweater for the logo of that school yeah. that was mentioned like two episodes ago. Like who the hell are they thinking is going to buy this? I think they had a little too much success too quickly with the first few items they put out. And so now they're like anything that gets mentioned on the show gets immediately made a school that was briefly mentioned. Come on, come on people. Come on. <laughs> so I have a brief review of point of light. I agree with most of what you guys said last episode. Okay. Uh, the only part I like to expand on is Tilly's behavior. Keeping things to herself is exactly what we, what she would have done, even though it is in her best interest. The most mm -hmm. glaring example of this is in the Short Trek episode, where she keeps Poe a secret and lies to the crew. Stamets is in the science division, so it's not inconceivable that he can do a medical procedure, but they should have had a medical doctor to extract the alien from Tilly. Not to mention that he also, you know, lived with and was partners with a doctor. So I'm sure he picked up some knowledge that way. But again, we, we all agree that there should have at least been a nurse in the room when they were doing this. Yeah. At the very least. <laughs> and rating two and a half pips, Lieutenant Commander. All right. All right. Oh, so that was on track with uh, with my rating. Mm. I gave it a little more, but uh, not, not too far off. So, uh, yeah, we definitely missed you last episode, man, and you were having fun i guess on your trip but we missed you here but i'm glad to uh glad to get your brief review of it yeah yeah 
Good so, to be back, guys. So let's move on to this episode, which is an obel for Sharon. Does anybody <laughs> know? My Sharona. <laughs> at, at first, when I when I first saw the episode title, I hadn't put my contacts in, in yet, and I, I thought it said an, an oboe. And I was like, <laughs> an oboe. I'm like, is somebody playing the oboe in this episode? I mean, that's an, a fairly obscure reeded musical instrument, but uh, okay. And then I was like, no, oboe. Okay. Now that makes even less sense because I have no idea what this means. I have not seen any explanation of it's, this it's title. It's Caron, I think. Okay. So it's, so it's not like the... Caron. Okay. That doesn't help yeah. me with an explanation, <laughs> Well, okay, so he's the ferryman of Hades who oh. carries souls of the deceased across the river Styx. Oh. And Obel for Charon, an Obel was a coin. Gotcha. That you have to pay him for passage. It's, okay, so it's the whole thing where you put the pennies on the eyes. Okay. Or now in the makes sense. of the dead person. Now it makes sense. Okay. I did not and, know any of those things, so... <laughs> And if you could not pay the fee, I'm looking at, at Wikipedia. If you could not pay the fee, those bodies were left unburied to wander the shores for 100 years of the River of the Dead. Yeah, well, that would so it completely makes sense when we've got this dying creature thing. Yeah. Yeah, the, no, the title absolutely makes sense now that I know those things. But I knew neither of those words meant any of that before this. So I was like, what? <laughs> but now that makes sense. So cool. All right. right on. I looked it up before I watched it with Teresa. And I was like, you're probably wondering what the episode title means. And she's like, yep. <laughs> did, did you not tell her that you looked it up on Wikipedia? You're just like, well, actually, what, to, you know, like just tell her what it meant without saying that you had looked it up. So you sound smart. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Well played, sir. Once <laughs> <laughs> she listens to this, that illusion is broken. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, you didn't have to tell people that. You could have just sounded smart, man. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we learned something new, which is important. Indeed. Do, 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 do. <laughs> little star uh, flying across this. <laughs> uh, so let's just give a quick summary of the episode. Certainly. A mysterious sphere threatens the USS Discovery even as May, in her original form, implements a plan that puts Tilly's life in danger. Saru and Burnham's bond grows when Saru is forced to acknowledge a deeply unsettling Kelpian truth. Pike receives new intel on Spock from a loyal friend. Oh my god. So yeah. And we open the episode with that loyal friend, which completely blew away my prediction. I thought that was going to be at the end of this episode. And it, it turned out it was in the beginning. <laughs> Literally the first scene. It's like, hey, oh, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, number one. Oh, I'm so excited. It was, it's she, she's cool. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm digging the character. And Rebecca Romaine is uh, doing a fantastic job. Of it. She is... An underrated actress, I think. Like, I know she's yeah. been in a lot of things, but I feel like she's been in a lot of things more for her looks than for her acting ability. But mm -hmm. she actually is a really good actress. I really liked her. Did you guys ever watch the show The Librarians? I've seen clips of it, and I I heard it's really good. I just need to watch it. It's a fun show. It's hard for me to go with good because there are it is kind of derivative some of the storylines are a little predictable but the acting in it is fairly good the chemistry between the actors who play in it are good like i said rebecca romaine is in it and she's really good in it noah wiley who most people know oh, from yeah. er is in it mm -hmm. he's actually one of the executive producers and, and he was part of the creation of the show right from the very beginning because uh, it was like a, a series of made for tv movies 
And then it became a show. Yeah, essentially. It was it was kind of like it was supposed to be this kind of mini series type of thing and then they put out I think it made two seasons after that. I'm I'm not sure. Kind of lost track of it because again, it was one of those things that it was a fun show, but it wasn't something that's like, "Oh, librarians is gone. I got to watch it right now." But it it's definitely worth a watch when you don't have anything else pressing to do. It's lighthearted. It's not overly scary or deep dramatic wise, but it's a fun show. One of the characters was in a show called The Leverage. I don't know if you guys ever watched that. That's a show that has some ties back to Trek because not only was Will Wheaton in it a couple of times, but also Jonathan Frakes directed several episodes of that show. So, and Leverage was a fun show too. Oh yeah. I I really liked Leverage, but I just, I loved Rebecca remain in this. Oh, craft. We, we from got, the short tricks was in leverage too. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really liked her short introduction. Uh, it is known that, that we're going to see more of her. This is just to introduce her. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, when she ordered food and he's like, Hey, you might want to make it like a, <laughs> like a light meal or whatever. And, and she's like, it comes with the shake. She ordered like the spiciest thing on the menu and he was like, would you like some lighter fluid with that? <laughs> She's like, that comes with a shake. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So she likes spicy food and she's about that life. All right, cool. I dig it. I was going to mention this in, in my likes, but I'll just say it now. Can we talk about the original series style pad that she had? Yeah, that was in my likes as well. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That is the kind of tie back to the original series that I do like. We'll talk about the type that I don't like later on. I think I think a couple of us are going to mention that. Yeah, so why don't we jump right in then and talk about what we did like about this episode, because there was quite a lot to like. Right, so like uh, Mr. Berry said, the old school tablet, very cool. You know, I did have some updates to it, but you kind of need to. But the general shape, I dug it. Yeah, it's one of those things, like we talked about last episode, where when they can, bringing in the, the tech that we've seen in the original series and making it fit with the look of Discovery, that's enough. That is enough to tie the visual continuity together and keep the, the canon, whatever people at bay. And yeah, that's that's fantastic. Little things like that are great. I love that. Just little set pieces, little things here and there that, that do that are fantastic. It was a good job on the prop makers or whoever's in charge of that did a fantastic job with that. It was excellent. Definitely. Saru. So I have a couple of items for Saru. First up, his line. Am I the only one who bothered to learn another language? <laughs> Hilarious. That whole scene was fantastic. Yes. With everybody speaking the different languages, and they're like looking at each other confused, like, what the heck am I saying right now? And, you know, <laughs> it just, but, the, the, the mass of confusion. Then Saru comes in with his fluency in 94 languages and is just like, you know, and figures everything out. And he's speaking real languages from Earth. He's speaking languages, you know, they were, they started, I think the first language that was spoken was Klingon. You know, Burnham like started speaking Klingon randomly. And, and then, then everyone's he, like, what? And, then Pike, <laughs> and Pike was speaking French, I think, for most of it. Uh, you know, it was, it was crazy. And it was just a fantastic fantastic scene so and then yeah when he when everything got figured out and sort of fixed it he's like really i'm the only one who bothered to learn another language (laughs) well what was awesome about that is that this is the first time we've really seen the universal translator in full action well because it's always like you know in the background like we, we just accept that everyone speaks english because of this universal translator but to see it malfunction and 
like it was cool. Even the computer was saying different stuff. The the screens were different. Yeah. It was just it was so cool. Yeah, it was really a different take. Any other time that we've seen the universal translator quote unquote malfunction, it's just been straight it stopped working. So this right. other alien species is speaking their language. We're all still speaking English somehow, every single person on this ship. Federation standard, sorry. But hey, it, even the show can't make up its mind about that. Oh so. yeah, yeah, that's right. They did call it Earth English in this episode as well so um which evidently is what what became federation standard this is the first time that we've seen it in action malfunctioning like this and translating incorrectly to where people were sounded Mm -hmm. like they were speaking wrong language i really liked the way they showed the universal translator in action in the first season when burnham went on to the sarcophagus ship and you know she's using the communicator as the universal translator and they slowly transitioned from her speaking and then the translator translating her words and then they slowly transitioned to them speaking it really reminded me of the hunt for red october have you guys Mm. seen that movie love that movie. Yeah. It's a fantastic movie. And there's a scene in there where Sean Connery speaking Russian and Alec Baldwin speaking English. And then they slowly transition to them, you know, both speaking the same language to each other. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's English for the viewer's perspective. But the way they did that transition, I thought was fantastic. And they did that so great in the first season. And then to use that again, to use that same technology again in a completely different way in this episode was amazing. But th- that that kind of makes me think, does... So if you're in the Star Trek universe and the universal translator is going, does everyone look like they're in a bad, like Japanese dub? <laughs> you have like, everyone's like mouth doesn't mistake. match what they're saying. <laughs> I would imagine so, right? Life is Kung Pao. Enter the fist. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so amazing. <laughs> that, but see, there were, something that kind of threw me off with this episode shouldn't, even though the universal translator is translating, shouldn't the original language still be like heard behind that? Yeah, you would think, right? That's the way it um, seemed to work in the in the first season. But with the way they shot this scene, if they had done it that way, I don't think we would have been able to follow along very well. It would have been right. too. I mean, it was already confusing as it was. So if we were hearing both things, it would be kind of, you know, like all over the place. Um, I think the way they did it was cool. Yeah. No, it it played well. One, another issue I had with the scene, uh-huh. since I don't have that in my dislikes, it's just a small issue. Sure. Saru talking to Burnham in a foreign language, wouldn't the Universal Translator be translating his voice into a different language as well? I think the... Oh, my... My right. thought on that is that he was picking up which language the universal translator was was spitting using out using for, for him. Person? Yeah, and so oh, he was okay. speaking to each person in the language that the universal trans, you know, because each person was like confused and they're like, "Am I? What am I speaking here?" And yeah, so, like, because I'm pretty sure he said something to Pike in French, and I, I'll have to rewatch it well, again to make Burnham sure. Was was at one point speaking in Mandarin? Yeah, and, and then, yeah. And and he did that too, which was kind of a nice callback to Giorgio. Yeah. So I think that's what that's what I attributed that to was that uh, Saru was picking up which yep. language each person was hearing at that moment and was responding right. to them in that language, and that's why they understood him. Right. But wouldn't the universal translator, no matter what language he was speaking, then translate that into something different? Uh, hmm. At some point, you just have to remind yourself that this is just a show, and you can really just relax. I understand that. I understand that's a show. I just MST3K'd you, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, your brain will hurt if you start thinking about the Universal Uh, Translator too much. So I'm 
hard. Yeah. I think uh, I think the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy did the Universal Translator best with the with the babblefish, the creature that you actually put into your ear and it feeds on sound waves. But a side effect of its feeding on sound waves is that it excretes its excrement is literally <laughs> that same sound waves in the language that you understand. So Anything you hear in any language is instantly translated by this fish in your ear. <laughs> well, it's uh, disgusting, speaking, but it's awesome. Well, speaking of Babel, Pike makes a reference to Welcome to the Tower of Babel. Yep. Yeah. So just a great overall scene. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah, it, it was, was it was fun. Crazy. It was entertaining. And it was, uh, you know, conductive to the episode, too. It wasn't like a throwaway oh, yeah. scene. It was definitely uh, something that was that helped with the overall storyline when you found out what was actually happening. Right. Exactly. Let me just jump through my other Saru likes, even though it's not chronologically right. Saru describing how he felt being a refugee and how he felt mm-hmm. hope. I thought that was very powerful and very relevant to current political situations Mm -hmm. oh yeah saru and burnham bonding more it's kind of hard to hold back your own emotions while watching uh, i that scene i cried yeah uh and and when Teresa was watching it she took off her glasses because uh she was getting pretty emotional about it and then when he didn't die she was like what the hell <laughs> like she, but but that was just a, a testament because i was watching the scene and i know he's a main character so in the back of my mind i'm like there's no way they're going to get rid of doug jones but at the same time they're doing such a convincing job that i'm like shit are they really doing this yeah yeah and and you never know like that was the same thing i was thinking i'm watching it thinking there's there's no way they're killing saru right now there's no way we've seen trailers that show future episodes that haven't happened yet where we see saru but we always Mm -hmm. have flashbacks we always have you know they always have ways to bring people back if they need to for for whatever scene so the thought so the 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 idea that they might be willing to kill this character is there in the back of your mind and it's terrifying. <laughs> You're looking at yeah. it going like, no, this is one of our favorite characters. Saru is fantastic. Doug Jones is amazing as Saru. And mm-hmm. he proves it in this episode. He's not just a lanky guy who fits into weird costumes and therefore gets to play aliens right. all the time. But he is helps. a weird, lanky, weird looking <laughs> right. lanky guy who fits into weird costumes, who also is a brilliant actor. So mm-hmm. the combination is what gets him to play. And oh, the way that scene played out with, you know, Burnham, who is usually, you know, she tries to be so Vulcan about her emotions. You know, we mm-hmm. know that she's not Vulcan. She, she wasn't, she's not even part Vulcan. She was just raised on Vulcan. But you see, normally she's pretty contained until she gets really worked up. You know, she, she'll, she'll raise her voice occasionally more than a, more than a Vulcan would. But seeing her cry and just oh that yeah that's that's when i that's where i lost it that that was the moment i was like oh god if she's if she's gonna cry then okay you know it's like oh this and i, I was like what what they obviously they, they've got to save him somehow some way I, I kept expecting somebody to like a doctor to bust into the room and be like i found a <laughs> like, magic <wait>. cure. <laughs> uh, don't do it you know wait i have this triple with magic <laughs> yeah um, yeah something um, stop <laughs> 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 yeah, it's I, I kept waiting for something to just pop up and the way they did it 
was fantastic. Yeah. And the not only the, the fact that it saved him and he's alive still, but the fact that it's even leading us into another storyline that is going to be even deeper and possibly, you know, go past even this season is mm-hmm. also fantastic. So just well done. Well done all around. The writers and the actors just made that scene so powerful. Right. Agreed. Next on my list, Pike and Burnham getting down and dirty in sick bay and helping the doctor, applying that- pressure to the wounds. That was a nice touch. Yeah, I mean, how many other times have you seen a captain like get like his hands dirty like that? Not very often. I mean, we saw it with Picard occasionally when uh, a couple of times when they were like stuck on. There was a couple of episodes where they were stuck on some planet somewhere where it was just Picard and somebody else. Like it was just Picard and Crusher the one time. It was just Wesley and Picard the other time. And that time Picard was the one that was injured, and you know, so we've seen it a couple of times, but not as dramatic or graphic as but part this. Of me was like, where the hell are the nurses <laughs> in sick bay? Like, well, where the hell are they? We know that there's a second sick bay, so they might Wait, have been. We do? Yeah, they mentioned it in the episode. They, uh, The people that weren't injured as badly were transferred to sick bay too. Oh, Which I, makes sense. I always I wondered that. in Next Gen, I was like, they have one sick bay and they showed a sick bay and it's got like four beds. But there's supposed to be a thousand people on this ship. I'm like, you're telling me that no more than four people are injured at a time <laughs> at any given time on a spaceship that has like somehow for some reason there's explosives behind every console. You're telling me there's not more than four people injured at a time. No, that, that ain't right. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it makes sense that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I'm sure with all the systems going down and everything that was happening, they, the medical staff is probably short. Yeah. Which which adds more urgency to the episode too because even when michael and saru were repairing uh the main universal translator i mean a guy like flew off a ladder i was like man he's got something broken now and we got another exploding panel too which i love another throwback to original trek right there (laughs) oh but you know speaking about exploding panels Mm-hmm. For some reason, I was giddy over the fact that they said EPS conduits. Like that's <laughs> such like a Voyager next gen thing. Yep, yep. But it it still makes sense that you know it's it's electroplasma system, and even the original series would have that. So mm-hmm. I, I just like that there's kind of like this quote unquote modern Trek terminology for mm-hmm. something that's always been in the background. Like the original series, they mentioned the duotronic systems, but that's that's a computer system. What's actually powering everything. And that's, that's the EPS conduits. That's the EPS power grid. Yep. So I, I, I kind of truck geeked over that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Next on my list, the chemistry between Reno and Stamets, the oh, back and yes. forth is pretty, so uh, so fun. pretty amusing. It's, it's interesting. Cause you kind of had Stamets play that role in the first in the, season. Yeah. So it's interesting to have someone else like, butt heads with Stamets. It's and and be on his level too. Right. Yeah. And and that's what I liked about the exchange too was that even though it, his work with the spores is like another form of propulsion, he's still in the science division. His that's his primary thing. He's a scientist in the engineer's domain. She is very much an engineer and she has the uniform color to prove it. So I really like that science versus 
you know, engineering debate, because even though, I mean, engineering is very much about science too, but you know, in a different way. So I like that there was that professional banter almost like it wasn't insulting. It was just like apples versus oranges, like which one's better kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And also in, during that, that exchange, Reno asks for gum. (laughs) Right. And and then Tilly asks Stamets if he wants gum. He kind of like looks at her like, what the hell are you doing? Get away from me. Which Like he does. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was just like that quick look and she goes, oh, uh, uh, what am I doing? I love that they still have gum. When they they first started sparring back and forth, like her her, her, Mm -hmm. lips puckered was like, oh, snap. Like this is happening. (laughs) Yeah, like. Like, oh man, mom and dad are fighting. Kind of, kind of look, which that was funny. Uh, I love Tilly. And then I enjoyed the fact that Reno uses the gum to help fix something. I, immediately after making a joke about fixing stuff with duct tape, and then she goes even lower tech than that and uses gum. That was, that was amazing. She literally MacGyvered it. It yeah. was great. Right. Uh, I'm glad to see that gum also exists in the 23rd century because yep. I don't think we've ever seen gum before yeah and it's one of those things that it's been around so long i mean gum is ancient i mean people have been chewing some form of gum for hundreds of years there's no reason why people would just suddenly stop you know still like to to work your mouth and you still like to you know people are still going to have that oral fixation and need something to to curb that while they're working or while they're doing other things so i'm just glad it was like in a generic case and not like branded or anything like orbits I gotcha. Oh, no. oh. Uh, oh well, good one. Finally, <laughs> to, get, to get 100 internet points for that pun. Yeah. Orbit. Finally on my list here is also related to Saru. Pike is willing to trust Saru, even if it means the destruction of the Discovery. <laughs> so I, I'm glad you were right, Saru. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Saru. So that sums up my list of likes for this episode. All right. right. Solid list. I appreciate it. Eric, what do you have? Well, I think I have to agree with you, Aaron. Like, this was one of the best storylines with Saru almost dying. Mm -hmm. Super emotional performance by Doug Jones. And like, like we said, he's not just you know, a skinny guy who can do monster costumes. He is a true performer. I really appreciated his acting. It was emotional. Star Trek is one of those few shows that at times can bring me to tears, but it's still rare. Mm -hmm. It has to be really emotional. And just the acting between Doug Jones and Sonequa Martin-Green was absolutely fantastic. I really liked how Michael and Saru's relationship has grown from the first season. Yes. We really missed some of the context from the time that, you know, they were under Giorgio's command for seven years uh, together. And there was that schism in the first season because Michael betrayed his trust. Mm-hmm. But after the events of that season, to see them mend their relationship, to see the culmination of, because Keep in mind, they still have seven years of history together where, you know, essentially they were the two aliens on the ship. Not Michael as a human, but she was raised by Vulcans, had a very more stoic Vulcan upbringing. And so they were very much went up the ranks together and, you know, had that professional relationship. So having those threads carry over 
from what we saw in the first season was very much appreciated. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. And I really thought this episode did a good job of kind of tying things together because as, as you may recall from a previous episode, I questioned whether or not Michael and Saru would ever be on an actual friendly basis again. Like I knew they'd be competent co-workers and I knew that she was cleared of charges. She was exonerated. She's a commander again, and he's going to accept that and not worry about that. But I really questioned whether or not they would ever be friends again. Right. And this episode, because they pointed out the fact that his species is so empathetic like that, I'm sure he picked up on how sorry she was about everything that she did that caused that schism in the first place. So that explains to me how he's able to forgive and move on and have that relationship with her again. And so I I really appreciated that about this episode. It it really brought things together and showed me, because I was questioning, I was like, how is he being so friendly to her now when just last season he was saying, you are a dangerous person? You know, like he was angry with her and just so disappointed in her it was again it was one of those situations like i'm not even mad i'm just disappointed (laughs) you know it was one of those situations like he was just so not about her for that time period and the fact that she's proven herself and come back from that and his empathy for that is what allowed him to forgive and move on and of course you know she was the one who did the bad thing so she can obviously accept that forgiveness and move on so their chemistry together is amazing and this episode just was fantastic in tying that all together and kind of repairing showing how that schism from season one was repaired Mm -hmm. yeah going along with the saru storyline just the fact that saru now has more confidence is very great for the character Uh, he's always been you know slightly neurotic with the tendrils and you know being in this constant fear because of his species but now he knows all of that is a lie i think this is going to be some amazing character development because everything that he knew about his species is confirmed to be bs that their religion their way of life is all come into question Mm -hmm. Either we're definitely going to tie that later on, later in the season, because we know that we see Serana from the short tracks in in the season trailer. So we know more follow-up is going to be carried on. But now Starfleet really has to question the General Order 1 for this species, Mm -hmm. because I think in some way the Ba'ul have either genetically modified the Kelpians or... They just took advantage of a biological trait that they have. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, look, we have to save the Kelpians from this race. I really want to see this become almost like a personal crusade for Saru because this really shakes the foundation of the core of his beliefs. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be a lot of moral questions that are going to come up because of this issue. This is what I think Star Trek Discovery is doing the best. And it's the best of what any Star Trek series does. I just, I really like that aspect of that, that revelation. Well, it fits in with the theme of this season, of Mm -hmm. this whole faith versus truth situation. You know, we're showing that some people's faith is based in a truth, whether, you know, no matter how they're expressing it, it's, it's based in a truth that they know. And other people's faith is based on a lie. 
and they're exploring that whole gamut of faith in general. And I loved that they brought that into this episode because that's something that they touched on previously and they've said is going to be a major theme throughout this season. And this is where it falls into this episode where Saru's like, I've had faith all my life that this was just the way it was and that I managed to escape it just, you know, pure luck almost that, Mm -hmm. you know, Giorgio came along and helped me escape my fate. But I was always destined, you know, when it started happening, he was like, yeah, well, it followed me. Even not being on my planet didn't save me. So, you know, whatever. But when he discovers that, no, that's, it's not true. We can survive this. We don't need to be that crisis of faith when it, when it's, when what you believe in, whether it be a religious thing or whether it just be like a person you think is a nice person who turns out to be a jackass or whether it be just a fact that you've thought was a th- something true all your life, and then you find out like, oh, that was just an urban myth all along. That shaking of your foundation can be just so powerful. And Doug Jones pulled yep. that emotion out and made us feel it so much. Uh, just again, just kudos to him and the writers for such a poignant and powerful scene. Well, I even like that he said. He even said, "I feel." powerful yep Mm -hmm. and that that really brought and and drove the point home just really well done i i love that whole storyline like you aaron i also loved the dynamic between jet reno stamets and tilly i really like that she stayed on board the discovery after the events of brother Mm -hmm. that in entire triumvirate interaction it was a fun dynamic and like i said earlier they kept things professional but but playful Mm -hmm. and the problem solving that they displayed in the episode was i thought really well thought out by the writers and they made it entertaining because you know even though they're talking about oh yeah we need to ground wires and this and that and use that and blah 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 there was an energy in the scene that really made you root for them. And, and I really enjoyed that. Agreed. Absolutely. And then the creature that we saw in this episode, it really reminded me of some of the weird and, and large spaceborne creatures that we've seen in past Star Treks, like especially the original series and the next generation, like the whale probe from the original series movie, V'ger, the planet killer in the original series, the crystalline entity, uh, those jellyfish things in, in the next generation, the, the little amoeba thing that attached itself to the Enterprise D. Like we oh, yeah. and even even in Discovery we saw the quote unquote space whale. Mm-hmm. So Star Trek is really good at showing us these weird and, and fantastical creatures. This this was just another version of that. And to me it really felt more on the original series side of things, like with the concept of, of the scope of conflict and, and exploration, you know, this, this feels like what the planet killer was, but the opposite, the planet killer was this machine bio thing that just went mindlessly planet to planet, destroying planets. But no, I like that this creature was kind of almost the opposite of the planet killer because Mm -hmm. it was just seeking and cataloging information for a hundred thousand years that i think is incredible and even though you know it's it's something obviously that hasn't really been referenced a lot in past series of star trek i kind of wonder 
if, you know, this could be the explanation for some of those, like, rumors of space artifacts that mm-hmm. that come up in Star Trek from time to time. Or why would they know about the obelisks of the preservers if, how would they assign that name? Well, what if they're just picking information from this database that even Pike said would take centuries to comb through? Yeah, right. And I'm sure, like... Picard would have been interested in this as as an archaeology thing, and that would be cool if there was some mention of it in the Picard series, like yeah. kind of to tie everything together. But you know, when he was on the Riza planet, and there was that rumor of that device, it was this ancient thing from this ancient civilization. And I wonder if the reason the Federation knows about these things, it's not just like galactic rumor and history. It's also because of this organic database. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that was something I like, it's kind of a deep cut, but when, when you kind of remember all these things that happen in the other series, it's almost like piecing this together and like fitting it into Canon. It's great. Cause they don't have to explicitly say that they're like, Oh yeah, well this blah, blah, blah. Like enterprises Borg episode where they're like, mm-hmm. Oh They'll be back one day, dun, dun, dun. Like, you don't have to telephone it in like that. You can you can work this into the context of canon. If it's my head canon, so be it. But to me, that's an interesting way to bring the context of, of continuity without slapping you in the face with it. Like, look, it's the Gorn, you, right. you know, or something like that. Yeah, no, it's a, a good retcon. Um, mm-hmm. And I would subscribe to that as well. And then I like that we're kind of on this path to wrap up how the spore drive will not be used in the future by Starfleet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Once you bring an environmental issue, I mean, hell, the next generation created warp speed limits because warp drive was damaging the fabric of subspace. Yeah, that lasted a long time, too, didn't it? Well, I mean, they're... <laughs> well, they, they changed the geometry of the warp and cells, and that solved the issue. Oh, okay. So it's okay. fine. Oh, yeah, it's all good. But... <sighs> But they they touched on it was the point. I, I get you. I, I totally get your point, Eric. I'm not trying to discount your point. They they did yeah, touch yeah. on it, that there was an environmental impact that they were unaware of. And when they were made aware of it, unlike right now today, we've been aware of the environmental impact of using fossil fuels about it. for decades. And we're not doing a dang thing about it until very, very recently. And we're only doing something about it because of the scarcity of the resource itself, not because of the damage it's creating. And I like that Stamets makes that pretty clear to uh, Jet Reno, only to have it come back and bite him in the ass where he realizes when talking to me, he's like, okay, I have to do better. And the realization to him, it wasn't like, oh, no, my spore drive. It was like, oh, I am hurting a sentient species. And he even called that blob sentient. I mean, he was marveled that Mm -hmm. the mycelium network can contain life as well. And so to have all of this dawn on him and to see that kind of circle full back to him was, again, great writing. Mm -hmm. And I think we're starting to see the end of the spore drive. Yeah. And this whole moral dilemma about using a sentient species or a life form to exploit it for propulsion, it 
totally reminds me of the Equinox situation from Voyager. You know, they were kind of exploiting the tardigrade too in the first season, but now I think Stamets is fully realizing the toll that his research can have. So I think the spore drives days are numbered. Yeah, absolutely. And my final point uh, to ramp things up, I loved the set dressing for Saru's quarters. That was awesome. We've always heard about in Star Trek that the quarters can be individually environmentally controlled depending on the species. So I I just, I really like that. I like that his quarters were more tailored to his environment. And it's something we don't see a lot of in Star Trek. Beautiful set dressing, absolutely fantastic. I'm totally glad that Linus has a voice now and has lines (laughs) and can talk. And the fact that he even, he's got a sense of humor. He's like, oh yeah, I had a cold last week and it sucked. And everyone's like <laughs> looking at him for using the word sucked. And he's like, hello, I've got six nasal cavities. <laughs> it, it was fantastic. And I loved I, I, I just loved his interaction. It was great. And it provided an excuse for uh, his speech when he was first introduced. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, sometimes a universal translator just can't keep up with me. So I, I loved it. I love the aliens that we're seeing. I love that he is a new character in the show. It just really goes to show the diversity of the Federation. Yeah, yeah I, I hope we see more of Linus. He's, he's awesome. Yeah. Even though they're alien, it makes the show seem more human for some yes. reason. So I uh, definitely appreciate that. And so, that's that's it for me. Yeah. So, Mr. Dewey? Well, a few of the things that I liked, in addition to what you guys talked about. As I talked about last week, I felt last week's episode was a little bit, it, it, it almost felt a little disjointed because it felt like they had, were cramming too many different main storylines into mm-hmm. the episode. We had so many things back and forth that weren't tied together. And I felt this episode got back to the type of storytelling that I appreciate where, yes, we do have a couple of subplots going on, but they primarily tie in to the main storyline of the episode. And we don't have too many subplots going on. So everything tied together a little bit better. It felt a little less rushed, uh, you know, even though it was still a, a shorter episode. And yeah, I'm sure there were probably scenes that we could have seen. It didn't feel as much that way this time around. You know, last week there was so much. I was like, oh, I wish there was more of this. I wish there was more of that. I wish there was more of this other thing over here. This week, I thought that they did a good job of telling the story in the time allotted without feeling rushed or disjointed. So, And what was so great about this episode was the runtime. It was 51 minutes. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. It was good to get that extra five or six minutes in the episode. It worked out well. I, I don't see where they would have been able to cut it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I only recognized like one spot that was like a specific like here's a commercial break time. Like most shows, even when you're watching, like watch a lot of shows on Hulu with the no commercial plan and you can see where they break for commercial and where they come back. Like you you can see that even though you're not actually viewing the commercials in between. And I I only recall one specific time when I, I felt like, oh, this is. This was made for a commercial break. So I don't know how it was aired with commercials, but I don't know if they just crammed like a big block of commercials <laughs> into that one <laughs> spot or if they just did something else or maybe they made a deal with one specific advertiser to be like, okay, if you give us 
X number of dollars, you will be the only advertisement on this episode of this show. And so we will cut down the commercial breaks. You won't be competing with anybody else. You'll be the only commercial people see while they're watching this show. So maybe maybe they <laughs> did something like that. This episode brought to you by Ford Discovery. Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> by Orbitz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what they call a callback. All right. Good job. <laughs> I also really liked, as we talked about, the acting, the direction, the cinematography, the score. Everything about this episode was just absolutely beautifully shot and acted, well put together. It didn't have the the camera tricks and weird angles that we saw in the previous episode, which are fun and can definitely help tell the story when you're dealing with outside the ship. As, as we talked about, when, when we're dealing with outside in space, those type of shots really, really work. This was almost entirely inside the ship, so those type of shots would have felt kind of out of place. We didn't have all that, but we still had some great effects. Like when they turned the screen on to to see the ultraviolet and mm. see every the way everybody was looking, and you just saw like the the glowing and the way everybody was staring. Like it's like music, and like that effect was just absolutely beautiful. And the music that they used in this episode was fantastic. Everything flowed together so well, I thought. So good mm-hmm. job on all all counts. Like, like I said, the acting, the direction, the cinematography, the score, everything across the board was beautiful in this episode. I really, really appreciated that. Just just from a filmmaking standpoint, it was a great episode. You know, not even not even taking into account the script, which was also fantastic. <laughs> Another thing I really appreciated, and we talked about this before, is the, the chemistry between the cast. All of the cast, pretty much. I mean, you know, we see the chemistry between Michael and Pike, and it's amazing. We see the chemistry between Michael and Saru, which is completely different, yet also amazing. The chemistry between Reno and Stamets is fantastic, hilarious, and fantastic. I just love that they're just taking pot shots at each other, and they can both take it and dish it out just as well. And that's what's great. You, you love to see that when, when coworkers or colleagues or friends even can have that banter back and forth, and neither one are actually offended everybody's everybody understands that we're joking around we've got a job to do we're still doing the job everybody was still working but yet they had that banter back and forth and i love tilly in that scene when she's just kind of stuck in the middle as usual tilly is just fantastic i i love tilly so much especially in this episode she was (laughs) amazing she has great chemistry with everyone mary wiseman is uh fantastic in that regard so i'm I'm definitely loving that. Another thing I liked is, once again, we are seeing just how good a Captain Pike is. Yes. He's willing to take charge when it needs to be. He's not wishy-washy. He's not like, oh, no, what do I do? He's like, no, we're going to do this. Like, load the photon torpedoes, arm them, get ready. We're going to do this. If we need to do this, we've got to get this ready. You know, be ready to do this. But he's still willing to listen to and trust his crew when they say, here's, here's a different viewpoint. Here's something that maybe we haven't considered. Here's what we believe. And when they say to him, we are sure... We are 100% sure of what we're saying right now. He says, okay, I believe you. I trust you. Let's do this. And that is, I think, an amazing quality in a captain. Obviously, his first and foremost goal is to protect his crew. But when they come to him and say, we think there's something more here, he's willing to, to give it a chance. Even though it might end up terribly, if they're wrong, he trusts his crew enough to believe in them and to do what needs to be done. So I really, really thought that that was fantastic. And it's not just on a large scale, like when 
they're you know proposing to let's lower the shields, let this thing communicate with us. And he's like skeptical at first, but he's like, okay, convince me. And they did. And he's like, okay, let's do this. But even on a smaller scale, when it's just him and Michael talking and he's like, you know, oh, we're going to catch up with Spock and uh, you're going to talk to him. And he, she's like, eh, actually, I kind of don't want to. And he's like, well, okay, that's your choice. I think that he would benefit from, from talking to you, but it's your choice. I'm not going to force you to do it. And then when he, she comes back at the end and says, I've changed my mind, I want to talk to him, that you could tell he was happy by that. He was, yeah. he was like, yes, good. I'm glad you came around without me having to order you to talk to him. Like you came around on your own. And the, the fact that he's willing to trust his people, but also make the tough decisions when necessary. Uh, he's really climbing my list of captains very, very quickly in the very short amount of time that we've seen mm -hmm. him. And then uh, finally on my likes list, as you guys have already mentioned, we're really setting the stage for a much, much better reason that the Spore network is not used as a propulsion device in the future of Star Trek. You know, the, the whole like, oh, it needs a tardigrade, which is exploiting a species and it's going to kill it. OK, well, that's bad. But oh, hey, we found out that we can attach a human to it. And if they're willing, why not use them? So, OK, we've gotten past that. Well, but that's genetic engineering as well. But cause... they were working on a way to do it without genetic engineering before. They just did the genetic engineering because they had to right then. Right. The fact and, that and then if and then the whole excuse like oh we can only get dispensation to do it during the war. Yeah. So they they always had like a reason but there was always the research going on in the background to find a way to do it without breaking those rules. So there was always going to be the question of well, why haven't, you know, seriously, they haven't figured out a way to do this without genetic manipulation yet. There's, there's got to be a way or there's, you know, if it was, it's that powerful enough of a tool that they would have changed the rules. Probably they would have made special dispensation, like you said, to be like, OK, in this situation, if we have a volunteer who's willing to do this, we will allow them to, to use this genetic manipulation to be the navigator of a ship equipped with a spore drive. But now we're setting the stage where it's like, okay, well, actually, when these ships jump, they are destroying the ecosystem of a sentient species. So now we have a much better reason that the spore drive is never used or mentioned in any future treks. It makes mm -hmm. much more sense than any of the previous explanations that we've had. So I'm digging that. And the fact that they're not only just throwing that out there, as like a throwaway line. You can see from the trailer for next episode that this is a serious thing that they're they're actually going to be dealing with in this season. So that I also appreciate. I don't like it when they're just like, okay, we're going to make up this explanation for something and boom, done. Okay, we're, we're never going to touch on that subject again. No, they're making sure that we are fully invested and know what the story is before moving on to a, a trek that does not have a sport drive. So I, I really appreciate that they're doing that, that they're making the effort to not only tell us, but to include it in the storyline. Right. So even though this was a fantastic episode and we liked a ton about it, as we are critical fans, I'm sure there were some things that we didn't like. Indeed. So to start my dislikes list here, uh, we still haven't had a proper look at main engineering, and I don't believe we've really met the chief engineer. We I don't even not. think it's been, I don't, I don't think he or she or it has been named yet. <laughs> Just like the chief medical officer, I don't believe we've ever officially met the chief medical officer either. No, we have. Well, we have the doctor yeah, in this episode. Yeah, that's Dr. Pollard. Is, 
Has, yes. Is it confirmed that she's the CMO? Yes. Okay. I, I, I must have missed that somewhere. I'm like, I know she was there and obviously in this episode, but I never saw her designated as the CMO. The chief engineer is still a question mark. We don't know who that is. <laughs> and that is kind of weird on a Trek show since that's like so you know, part of Trek. There's always a chief engineer. There's always. And yeah, I, I did like, well, it, it's ironic because we learned the name of Enterprise's chief engineer before Scotty, but not oh, yeah. Discovery's engineer. And I just, uh, uh, not, not to sidetrack, but quickly, um, I just love that Pike's little line that uh, I don't know if there's ever going to be a chief engineer that loves the enterprise more than Louvier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but yeah, it, it, it is kind of BS that we don't know discovery's chief engineer name, but we get a throwaway line for enterprises. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. And I would like to see what the warp core looks like. I think that would be cool to see if it's some kind of yeah we only got a brief mixture. look at shenzhou's warp core when voke and laurel were going to take the the dilithium processor from it and we didn't get to see the whole thing or all of engineering we just saw that little piece of it in the you know in the dark in a dead ship uh, so i don't think we've seen a warp core on a federation ship in this show yet yeah i mean i like seeing these set pieces i really love the enterprise d's engineering set the engineering set on enterprise was cool because it you know it's like the evolution of the uh system so i would dig to see discoveries engineering warp core hopefully once the spore drive is completely offline and we're not really dealing with that storyline anymore then there'll be reasons for there to be warp core issues and then we'll probably see the warp core hopefully yeah Uh, (laughs) i mean it's like we're we're season two into the show guys like come on (laughs) right Next up, the explanation that the holometers were part of the reason that the press <sighs> was taken out. I see that was one of my uh, that was one of my dislikes too because my impression and brother was that the Enterprise was disabled because they were trying to scan the red burst and. I, I don't know if, you know, maybe that was just a weird line or something, but maybe the delay in the repairs to Enterprise is because of the holographic system. And and this episode really confused that point. So that was one of my major dislikes. It's just weird. But, I mean, it sets the stage for TOS where we don't have the hollow emitters. But at the same time, it's like this is the second episode in a row that they're driving home that... Ooh, screens are bad. Use holographics. Like I, I, I I'm kind of getting tired of that. Yeah, yeah. Although I did appreciate it in the last episode, but here not so much. Mm-hmm. Next up, 20th century is everyone's favorite <laughs> music. It's kind of weird to me that you know you don't have like a 21st century or 22nd century music, 23rd century music. I. I I agree with you on that point because it always seems to go back to something that we know. But at the same time, I kind of understand it because in sci-fi in general, when they've tried to predict what music is going to be in the future, it's always terrible. It's just universally bad. So 
the fact that they're, especially when they're only using a small bit and they're using something that kind of ties into space travel and stuff like that. So I kind of gave them a pass on this one because I was like, okay, you know, I get it that they're, they're going with this because it's a whole space theme or whatever. In the party scene last season, that was like, why? Like, seriously, they're listening to hundreds of year old, years old music. Like nobody's made any music since then. What the heck? But that's why I appreciate like the whole Cassillian opera yeah. thing. It's like, at least it's, showing us that you know 20th century rock and roll or or music or contemporary music yeah i totally understand your point aaron i think they do it just because it's something that's familiar to the viewer it's just it's it's for us as viewers but yeah as nitpickers like we are it's kind of like well has there never been any did they stop making music at some point and that's all that's left is the old stuff but, <laughs> world war three was a bastard yeah it, it literally <laughs> destroyed music it that was the day the music died apparently because even in nice one <laughs> Even in uh, First Contact, you have them listening to... Ooby-dooby! So, like, Tilly singing that song wasn't what really made me bring up this point, but it was Reno having a dream about Prince. Yeah, it was like it was like two music references, mm-hmm. uh, contemporary music references in a short time that... I, I agree with you. I didn't like that. Yeah, that was a weird reference because it's like, okay, yeah, for us as viewers, Prince is still very fresh in our memories as a musician who fairly recently passed. I can't fathom the idea that his music is that influential that it would still be something fresh on people's minds in the 23rd century. That's like, yeah, he was he was great. He was unique. That's fantastic and everything. But are you telling me nothing more impactful has come along in two, three hundred years? Really? I, I don't believe that. Right. And finally on my list is uh, losing Spock's warp signature. Since Discovery would undoubtedly be faster than the shuttle, if they stayed on course, I feel like they would have eventually picked it up again. I don't know. We're not even 100% sure they have a warp core, remember? We haven't seen it, so there's no proof. <laughs> I actually... So, so on this point, I actually... I don't necessarily disagree with you. I kind of I kind of do agree with you because I'm like, okay, if they can pick up a warp signature, they should be able to pick up a warp signature one way or the other. But also when they showed the graphic of the warp signature, you could see that he was kind of zigzagging all over the place. So I think what they meant was that he wasn't on a straight trajectory. He wasn't right. just going to one place where they could just pick it up again. If he made another zig or another zag, they might lose the trail. And I think that was his intention. Like, I think he's trying to prevent himself from being tracked. Like, he, that's that's his goal. And if, if Spock sets his mind to something, he's going to accomplish it in most cases. So I think the fact that that's kind of, I think, where they were going with it. They're chasing somebody who's trying not to be found. So he's not going in a straight line where they can just pick up where they left off and, and go. He might be zigging and zagging. He might drop out of warp for a little while and move some different direction and then go back and warp and you might lose the trail that way. So I kind of gave them a pass on that point a, because it helped move along the storyline as far as giving them a reason to need to do things in a certain time. Like they had to make that decision. They had to do it quick because if they didn't, then they were going to lose this. 
And so I gave him a pass kind of on that and the fact that I think Spock is specifically trying to elude them. So mm-hmm. I, I totally understand your point, and I think that if they have the technology to pick up a warp trail at all, that even if he changes course, they probably should be able to. So I, I, right. I agree and s- slightly disagree with you on that point. That's all. To, to expand on it slightly, so the orb, the sphere, how long between it exploding in that scene with Burnham and Pike, uh, how much time passed? Because undoubtedly, Spock could have changed course mm-hmm. in, in that time. So would they still be able to catch up with him with the data that they got. I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Well, I don't think it's happening next episode because the trailer did not show Spock. (laughs) So (laughs) you you know what Teresa even said? She's like, when are we going to see Spock? (laughs) And I I, I made a, I made a search for Spock uh, joke, but she hasn't seen that movie. So, Uh, Oh no. Oh, that's horrible. This is literally the search for Spock. Like literally. (laughs) This whole season is just Discovery the Searcher Spock. <laughs> he's not even going to be, he's going to be in the final episode. Watch this. God, <laughs> I be. hope not. <laughs> oh, man. It's one of those things. It's like, oh, where, where is he? Because we got that trailer at the end of episode one where it's like this season on Discovery and it showed a bunch of things, including Spock. Since then, every episode has had a next time on Discovery trailer where we just see the next episode. And there was no Spock in that trailer this week that I saw anyway. Uh, nope. We did see George O. We did see Leland, who uh, yes. hopefully will actually get named other than just in the subtitles <laughs> so that we actually know who the heck we're dealing with. We saw a lot of mycelial action, which looks like it's going to be interesting and fun. So that's I mean, it looks like it's going to be a good episode based on the trailer, but. It definitely looked no, spot free. <laughs> I need Spock. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Mr. Barry dislikes. You know, aside from you know, I, I uh, de- definitely agree with your points uh, there. Really, my only other big gripe was that you know they're trying to do this trepidation procedure on Tilly, which. I was totally on board with, like, I, I love it shows that, you know, Jet Reno's using engineering as mm-hmm. medicine still carried over. Like, I love their improvisation in that episode, their uh, cunning stuff. But for the love of God, when you're drilling into someone's head, can you just, like, please strap down their head so they're not <laughs> freaking moving it? Because even the, like... A wince of pain from Tilly could drive that thing in deeper into her freaking skull. And I was just like, the, the fact that they did not even try to attempt to restrain Tilly's head before drilling was, I thought, was very sloppy. I, I thought that was just dumb. It made the characters look dumb. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it That kind of negated my like for their ingenuity like all, for all their smarts they're like huh maybe we should strap down our head yeah, yeah if you look it, at right. th- that kind of took me out of it yeah if you look at modern surgery i mean there are cases where they need to cut into somebody's head or drill into somebody's head and if you look at those surgeries in real life they are not only they're not just strapped down there's like an entire apparatus that is specifically designed to make sure that their head cannot move even a single micron like it is firmly in place because a lot of times with with brain surgeries and stuff you can't put people under because it 
affects the way that their brain reacts and they're, they're not able to do the surgery. So instead, they have to make sure they stay still by locking them down. And obviously, in Star Trek universe, you should be able to have a, a force field or something to do that. But the fact that they didn't, they just, she's, he's like, sing your favorite song and just, I'm going to just drill into the side of your head now. And she's all like, mm, when it happened, and it's like, okay, if she's wincing and moving, like, really? Like, this seems like a delicate procedure. <laughs> this seems like something you want to be exact. Uh, it, was, it was bad. Yeah, I, I agree. I did not like the way that that panned out, even though I do like the fact that, yeah, they're stuck in engineering. They, they point out that the fact that they're locked into this room, they can't leave to go to a sick bay, one or, or the other of them, and, and get and a laser a med, scalp. A med kit's only going to take you so far. Yeah. And so, you know, she's like, I've got this drill. You know, they've got the, the tools necessary to do it old school, but they've already proven that they did have force fields in engineering. Even if the force fields were somehow down and they couldn't use those, you'd think Jet would be holding her head down when he when he did the mm-hmm. drill or, you know, something. Yeah. So I completely agree with you on that point. That was a little... Uh, unprofessional (laughs) but really that was uh, aside from aaron's points and i'm sure i'll agree with some of yours uh mr dewey yeah that was really my biggest gripe it was just like especially compounding on last week's episode where Mm -hmm. you know they didn't have a nurse or someone on hand you know when they were extracting the may thing out of tilly so it it just kind of compounded pounded on that with like bad medicine practices. Yeah, it kind of negates my point that like, okay, maybe Stamets picked up a little bit of medical knowledge from his time with Culber, but obviously well, I mean, not that, enough because be he's doing sense. this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm not a doctor and I'm no like with like freaking restrained her head. You're drilling into her brain. Like, come on. <laughs> I I completely agree. Uh, and and th- that's it for me for dislikes. All right. Well, I, I have a couple of dislikes. Not a lot. Like I said, I thought this was an overall very good episode. So aside from what we've already talked about, I do want to expand on one of the points. That throwaway line that they used to explain why the Enterprise of the original series doesn't have hollow communication. Completely unnecessary. We already established last episode that Pike prefers screens. Okay, so maybe that's just something that carried over when Kirk took over. He just assumed that, hey, screens are the way to go. So he did it. Okay, that's fine. They didn't need to put that line in there because all it is, it's it's just pandering to these people who are moaning and complaining about stupid visual continuity stuff. Like these are the people who literally want switches and dials on the consoles on the bridge. Like why are you pandering to those people? Those people are not the people that are enjoying this show. Obviously they're the ones complaining about it the most. Don't, don't pander to them. They're not, it's not necessary. That just threw me off. It's like I chuckled at it because I was like, (sighs) but it was like a, I can't believe they said that chuckle. Not like a, oh, that's funny. Ha ha chuckle. It was like, a, oh my God. It just, it feels like it gives validation to people's gripes that just don't need to be valid. You know, people are griping and complaining about this visual continuity between a show made in the 60s and a show made in 2018 and 2019. Come on. Filmmaking has progressed. The visuals are going to progress along with them. Accept it and just watch it for the story for crying out loud. And and the fact they already made the point last week that that Pike didn't like screens. We don't need another slap in the face of it. We get it. Yeah. I mean, it's just 
uh, yeah, that 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 line was just like, OK, I get why they put it in there. But at the same time, I don't like why they put it in there, because it's just it's appealing to the wrong group of people. I think you want to appeal to the people who like your show, not trying to you know go back and, OK, we're going to throw this one line in here and it's going to get all those people who are complaining about this other stuff to to back off and like the show. No, it's not. It's just going to piss off the people who already do like the show. So just knock it off. So I really, really hope that we do not see too much more of this type of rationalization of reduced technology in TOS. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that it was filmed in the 60s is enough rationalization for me. I don't need anything more than that. You don't need to keep explaining it. The little set pieces that they've done with like the data cards and the pad, things like that. That's perfect. That is enough. You don't need to go beyond that. Like literally words are not even necessary. Just little things like that are enough to tie things together. You know, we talked about the shelves in Spock's quarters on the Enterprise. Just yes. little details like that are plenty to keep everything tied together and make sure that we understand that this is the same Trek from the original series, but obviously it's made in a new time with a bigger budget, it's fine. We don't need throwaway lines like this that just take time away from the rest of the story to try to, you know, retcon something that doesn't need to be bothered with. That just, that bugged me more than anything else in this episode. Uh, in fact, the yeah. only other dislike that I really had is really more a dislike from last episode carrying over to this episode. It's the fact that they finally decide like, hey, maybe we should try to communicate with this thing. Uh, duh. Maybe you should have done that while it was still <laughs> just in Tilly and talking to her like nicely and not being aggressive and trying to strangle her or choke her or cover her or whatever, eat her, whatever the hell it's doing now. Why didn't you think about trying to communicate with this thing while you had the chance, while it was just being an entity that was talking to her? Like that would have made so much more sense than ripping it out of her, putting it in a cage. And then thinking, hey, maybe we should try to talk to it. You couldn't have thought about that while it was still talking to her? You want to talk to it? Now if we try to make some peaceful resolution, they're just going to throw all that back in our faces. Yeah, they're like, well, we tried to talk to you and you just ripped us out and threw us in a cage. Yeah, so I disagree with the timeline on that. Like the fact that they didn't even think about communicating with it until this episode was frustrating. And then, mm -hmm. of course, when they did finally communicate with it, it didn't go as well as they had planned. Why? Because, well, I don't know, maybe because you ripped it out of her body and threw it in a cage. Most sentient scary. beings don't like that. <laughs> oh, I, I did like that like possessed may voice oh, coming man. through mm. it was like the exorcist i was yes. like oh. freaked out by it that that was, that was so cool good. that was well done like the once they did it you know it made sense and it, it and they did it well i'm not complaining about that they should have did it an episode ago exactly <laughs> that should have been that should have happened in point of light you know it's just or they should have just waited like it could have happened in this episode but they didn't need to rip it out of her last episode they could have yeah. you know like hey well it's trying to communicate with you why don't we try it? why don't we work with this let's communicate but and that was my they had an actual cortical stimulator instead of going through all that junk yeah they wouldn't have been they they could have done it while they weren't trapped in engineering and and once again this is all something that could have happened in sick bay to begin with <laughs> where they or would have been sick bay too yeah yeah <laughs> uh, sick bay 2 electric boogaloo 
Um, Sponsored by Orbit. And that would make a lot more sense than the way they did it. So that's my biggest gripe about this episode. Everything else, I really enjoy. Uh, one, one final like I just want to throw out there. I did like that we saw them start tripping out. Oh, yeah, and that was fun. <laughs> the visual effects, like it was subtle at first, like Stamet's eyes were getting blacker and a little wider. And then they just went full on trip mode to the point where like their voices are switching. And he's like, just slap me. And all of a sudden, everything just like snaps back into place. I love that. That was another remarkable scene. I agree. That, that was funny. Some humor in what could have just been a really stressful scene. Yeah, yeah. I agree. That was it was fun to see the whole. And I think it's I guess it's a rule now that uh, Tilly has to get high at least once per season. God, yeah. (laughs) I think that's where we're going with this. Yeah. So let's look at some unanswered questions from this episode. Indeed. I'm wondering where the sphere came from and why it pulled discovery if Mm. it was premeditated and why did it affect Saru so far out before they went to war? Yeah, and I'm wondering if if this entity somehow connected with Saru long distance mm. or somehow knew that he was the only Kelpian and could connect with his like death and process. Mm. So I'm wondering if this creature connected on on some level and that's why it particularly you know sought out discovery that was my theory was that that saru was going through this already like that was already happening but because of his empathetic nature and this creature's nature that's why it was like oh there's there's something on this ship that's going to understand what's going on and that's why it sought out discovery so i don't think it caused saru's what did he call it again the, the Vaharai? Vaharai, yeah. I don't think it caused that. I think that was happening before, because mm. that happened, like like you said, before they even went to warp, that happened. Right. Um, so I think that was just happening to him. And but the fact that it was happening... somehow sense it. Yeah, that's that's what I think as well, is okay. that the, the, the sphere sensed that and was empathetic to that. And, you know, I, I feel like this sphere is also an empathetic being, and that's why it connected with Saru, and that's why it specifically pulled discovery out of warp as opposed to because obviously they were following spock's trail so spock must have passed close enough to this thing that if it had wanted to it could have pulled spock out of orbit but obviously or out of warp but it obviously chose not to Orbits. it waited to <laughs> we're bringing it back i don't want to ruin any future for the day i don't want to ruin any future sponsorship opportunities but orbits is not even that good of a cum <laughs> We'll cut that if we get them as a sponsor. But I think that's that's my theory. But again, it is an unanswered question because it's just my theory, basically. I mean, this, that's basically what this comes down to is that this is a sentient being that knows it's dying and wants to impart that last little bit of information before it goes. So, Mr. Barry? Uh, my biggest uh, unanswered question is not even particularly related to this episode. It's just that, you know, in interviews leading up to the season premiere, you know, we've always heard like, oh, yeah, Colbert's coming back and, and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I think even, uh, a- you know, Anthony Rapp mentioned it in uh, whatever that, that new interview show is. I saw an interview or 
like a snippet from uh, mm-hmm. Trek Web. But my thing is like, how is this all going to eventually tie in if they're really hinting that Colbert's coming back? Are we going to see that next episode when their little trip through the mycelial network? Uh, especially that statements theorize that the mycelial network contains life. But if that's the case, you know, I always was under the impression that that Colbert was just a hallucination, not, you know, it's not like he physically got that got sucked into the network. So my my whole unanswered question is, how are they going to bring a Colbert into this? You know, how is this going to tie in with you know, this blob life form, Mm -hmm. which somehow is now a portal, like the life form is a portal into the network, at least what I'm hinting at into the trailer. So it's just, it's a little weird. Yeah, I agree. I'm not sure. I'm thinking that maybe the fact that he died while they were, had, had the spore drive act and maybe, well, it wasn't while they were actually jumping. But it was while the spore drive was, was, you know, it was on, it was there. It wasn't while they were actively jumping, but it, it was there. And it did happen in the mirror universe. So there's the possibility that maybe it's not just a hallucination that he's seeing when he's in the network. Maybe it actually is a, a kind of ghost, kind of like, I think, Aaron, you had said it's similar to uh, the Nexus, where mm-hmm. there's a, a piece of you left behind. It's not you but there is a piece of you. It's not someone's imagination. You know, Picard wasn't imagining Guinan in the Nexus. That was, it was Guinan in the Nexus helping him. So maybe it's something like that. And maybe when they do this, this whole thing that they're doing next episode based on the trailer where they're actually going into the network physically, where they're, mm-hmm. you know, it shows them like the half the ship is in the network and half of Which is, is a out. damn cool effect. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I can't wait to see that like full time. Like that's going to be awesome. But it seemed like they were just kind of wandering through the network similar to how the two Stamets, when they were both in the network. So I don't know whether they're going to bring Culver back full time, like here he is, like he's alive again, or if they're just going to have him accessible through the network, like a piece of him is still in the network. Like however they do it, I'll probably be okay with because I do like the actor. I do like the character and I love the chemistry between them. So I, I wouldn't mind them bringing him back, even if it's one of these miracle, like, hey, we brought somebody back from the dead things. And I would give them a pass on this one because the character is good enough to deserve it. I Um, do feel like this will play into the science versus religion theme that's mm -hmm. going on. Oh, Um, we did see that blob creature form a hand. Yeah. So I feel like what could end up happening is that Colbert's spirit and a blob merge and create a new nope, a new nope. <laughs> don't don't like it I, i'm not saying it's a good idea i'm just saying that it's and then what happens the is they ditch it on a planet by itself and it stays there for so long it becomes mean and ends up killing tasha yar later on <laughs> oh lord oh my god oh no Please, no. God, no. Oh, hey. Uh, Rick Berman recently tweeted something about Tasha Yar, actually. Wait, uh, what? That he had her communicator from that last episode that she was in, uh, Skin of Evil. Mm-hmm. That he had He's it got on that, that memento? Yeah. 
Oh wow. Well, that's creepy. <laughs> but she gave it to him as oh. as she left, and he kept it. Oh, that's th- well, that's a that's a nice like souvenir kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I like that Rick Berman's like not bitter and still around and. I mean, he headed the franchise for many, many years. Right. Well, and I, I don't even blame Denise Crosby for wanting to leave. I mean, you look at those season one episodes and you have to wonder how they what got the hell were they thinking? <laughs> <laughs> you know, how did this, if you watch just season one and you think, how in the world did this show go seven seasons? Well, watch season two and you'll see. But yeah, at that first season, it's easy to think like, I'm surprised she's the only one who jumped ship at that point. Obviously, it was a mistake. But at the same time, I think Worf was a much better security chief than Yar was ever. So and I think it worked out better. Aaron on Twitter. I know, right? <laughs> Yeah, I forget that guy. Uh, but can understand why she she felt the need to distance herself at that time. And I'm sure she kicked herself in the pants for six years in a row afterwards and probably long after that. Well, that's, um, that's why I'm glad they brought her back occasionally. Yeah. Like the, the actress. Yeah, it, it, it was nice. Who knows? Maybe... Maybe we'll see here in the Picard series. Maybe they'll bring Denise Carsby back somehow in, hopefully in a small capacity. I don't necessarily yeah. want her to be a main character, but I wouldn't mind seeing her. You know, it would be kind of cool. As um, Sila. Oh. Right? As Sila, as Yar, as whatever, you know. Hey. I'm saying Sila because then. The Romulan relates. connection. Yeah, the Romulan mm-hmm. connection there. But Mr. Dewey, what are your unanswered questions? Well, uh, my biggest unanswered question at this point is, are they going to be able to, yeah, they've got all this information, 100,000 years of information. Are they even going to try to search this database for information about these red bursts slash red angels, whatever the heck they are. Are we going to get some information on them from this? Mm. I'm very curious as to whether or not that's going to be a thing that's even brought up or if it's just going to be, okay, we're done with this sphere thing. We're, we, we sent the information off and let the historians deal with that. I would be interested to see if there's information, if this sphere has been in contact or knows things about these that push the story along. Right. Uh, so and that's my biggest unanswered question on this particular episode. Obviously, the unanswered question that everybody has is what the heck's happening with Tilly because that's – you know, how they ended the episode, essentially, on, like, what the heck's happening to Tilly. I mean, they literally, like, you. I couldn't tell where the end of the episode and the beginning of the trailer for the next episode began oh, because yeah. of the way they did it. So it literally is like, what the heck's happening to Tilly? Don't, don't you, don't you kill Tilly. I will some up if you kill Tilly. You don't even know. She's one of my favorites, and I will be upset with you, Star Trek in general. Yeah. So, scores. Well, I think now we can all say that we're across the board in agreement that this is a commander. For the first time, we, uh, yeah, we have a unanimous score of three pips, full commander across the board. I, I think that the, the minor gripes cannot outweigh the, the amazing story for Saru. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Little things that we dislike compared to the giant list of things that we did like definitely put this up in the top Star Trek episodes of the uh, uh, of all of the series. And it's just Discovery continues to present us with fantastic stories, fantastic acting, fantastic directing, fantastic cinematography. Even the scores have been amazing. Like I, I grade scores in movies and TV shows based on whether or not 
I notice them in a good way or a bad way. If I don't notice the score, then I think of it as a okay musical score because it didn't distract me from the film or movie or TV show, but it also didn't accentuate it. If it distracts me from the story, then it's a bad score. If it actively enhances the story as it did in this episode, then I think of Mm -hmm. it as a great score. And I think especially at the end there when they're all standing, looking at that light and the the music was just perfect for that moment. And that is a fantastic score. So, And one musical touch that that I really enjoyed was when Saru was leaving the bridge, the whole bridge crew stands, and you get that small three notes from the original Star Trek theme. Absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah. That was brilliant. That whole scene, it lost a little bit of impact because he didn't die. Like, that scene would have been, <laughs> honestly, like, I mean, I don't but want him to die. died for the payoff, you <laughs> jerk. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't want, I, I didn't want him to die. But at the same time, that scene would have probably, if he had died, that would have been one of the most impactful scenes of the entire episode. Because it was just them all recognizing without saying a word. They all just stood and recognized what Saru meant to them and the crew and yeah I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up because we hadn't mentioned that scene yet and that was a fantastic scene and like I said the only thing that put it to the back of my mind was the fact that he did not didn't end up dying <laughs> wow okay so predictions for next episode or beyond star trek beyond I think uh, the use of the spore drive will completely end in the next few episodes after they rescue Tilly from the network. Just based on the preview, I think Section 31 and Discovery will definitely cross paths in this episode. Since they're both racing to chase Spock, I think this is the intersection where they'll come together. And I think Section 31 will see the Discovery in this predicament, and that's how we'll get like the little preview that we saw of Giorgio coming aboard the Discovery, like somehow under the guise of Section 31, uh, they rescue the Discovery from this network, and she's able to maybe get some more information from Michael. So that's that's my prediction. Hmm. Mr. Dewey? That makes sense. Um, my, my biggest prediction for next episode and beyond is that I think Stamets and Reno are going to end up being best. (laughs) (laughs) They're back and forth and their banter and the way they interact. Like, obviously they were kind of frenemies this time around. I think they're going to end up being buds. And I, I think the back and forth will continue, but I think it'll be done in, it, it seems already to be done in such a better way. They tried this in Voyager with Paris and Kim, where they tried to have this like banter back and forth where they were making fun of each other. And it just seems always so forced and not uh, funny. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say. Voyager hate. I, I thought you were going to say Paris and the Doctor. <laughs> hey, I like Paris and the Doctor. Okay, no, no, with that with that banter back and forth. I thought no, they they did that. that they did that fairly well. That that one wasn't the big one. It was I forget which season it was, but they they started out like three or four episodes at the beginning of the season where they just had Paris and Kim like going back and forth, like insulting each other, and it was just so forced and unfunny it was just like you guys are you've you've been friends you've been like good friends and just like normal friends up until now was that when paris became an ensign because he was an asshole to that one alien species and got demoted uh i don't remember uh honestly there was some fallout in their friendship with that but anyhow 
Yeah, it was it was just one of those things that I was like, okay, this seems and they obviously figured it out because, you know, like I said, it only lasted like three or four episodes and then they stopped doing that and they were back to a normal relationship and it was fine again. Like I always liked Paris and Kim's relationship most of the time. It was just those few episodes where they tried to interject this weird insulting banter between them that wasn't there before. And then wasn't there after. And I'm like, so do, do you want Jet and Stamets to be like Harry and Paris? I want them to be like they were this episode, but, but also forever. be friends, you know, <laughs> but like, like right now they're kind of butting heads because they're like the opposite. Like Stamets yeah. is like, oh, the spore drive is the future. And Reno's like, no, no, no. You know, warp drive is where it's at. And now Stamets is coming to realize that, hey, maybe the spore drive isn't such a great thing after all. And I think that's going to lead to a friendship between them that's going to merge the science and the engineering. And I think we're going to see a good relationship between these two. But I think we're still going to have the banter. But like I said, they're they're doing it good. They're doing really it's fun, entertaining banter. That's not like you said, it's not super insulting mm-hmm. and then and they're playing it they're both giving it as good as they take you know it's never fun to see somebody just insulting somebody and them just taking it and not being able to give it back or you know or the opposite seeing somebody who's just always dishing out insults and when somebody gives it back they're like oh my feelings are hurt no they're going she, back and she forth and calls him out on that which was brilliant like yeah. oh you're one of those people who makes a jokey joke and then you know gets <laughs> insulted because they can't come up with a comeback. And I felt like, like that was a dig for social media. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. Yeah, their their interaction back and forth was was perfect. And I my prediction is that they're going to become friends, that they're going to be they're going to be buddies. Yeah, I hope that comes to. So my prediction, Starfleet or Section 31 or both are allowing Spock shuttle to escape. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Because they're uh, because they they're, it, they're allowing it because they want to know where right. he's going or why why are, why do you think they're allowing it? I don't know. I just think I, that they. I, can I stop think it. I, I think they might be trying to see if he'll go to the Red Angel. Mm-hmm. Like they're using him to find out their end means, essentially. Yeah, that works. Okay, I just, I just think because he has a he has a bigger connection than than anyone to these things. Yeah, right. I just like n- number one was able to get this information from someone. Who right. did she get it from? So uh, maybe maybe she's secretly a Section Thirty One operative. Who knows? That's maybe, not a prediction. Maybe that's... I just want to see more of her because yeah. she's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I do too. That, that would be a great way to tie her in and bring her into the Section 31 series later on. Yeah. Uh, which I'd be fine with. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so I think that wraps up the episode. I think uh, that went over pretty well. Mr. Barry, if we yes. were to look for you on the internet, how would we do that? Well, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at truckieb 47 uh, you can also follow the other podcasts that I have on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, the Ranger Command Power Hour. Uh, that's at Ranger Command PH on Twitter and Ranger Command Power Hour, all one word, on Instagram and Facebook. Very nice. Mr. Dewey, how would we find you? I am at Eric J. Dewey on most social media platforms, including Instagram, Twitter, and Untapped. And don't forget to follow the entirety of the Four-Eyed Radio Network at the Sasquatch Net on Twitter. And Facebook, we're facebook.com slash four-eyed radio network. Awesome. Uh, and if you were to look for me, you can find me most places 
at Nova Charter. Thank you all for listening and uh, look forward to having you back next time. Keep on trekking on. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com slash sfescapepod.